All right, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. If you are able to stand with me, I'm going to read from a passage, and we're going to get into the practice of whenever we read a portion of Scripture, just standing to kind of change our posture and hear from God's Word. So this is going to be from Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, Here's what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph and a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One One to be born will will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Boom. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. So Lord, we're so thankful that this is a story that shapes us, that shapes the whole future of humanity, the whole world hinges on the words and the promise that are in this passage today. God, we thank you that no word from God has ever failed, that that is true, Lord, that you kept your promises. And we're here in this room as a sign as a symbol that our God keeps his promises. You are the covenant-keeping God. And so tonight, God, we anchor ourselves in that and that reality, Lord, that you have something good that you want to teach us and to show us. So help me tonight, Lord, just to faithfully share what might be on your heart. And I pray that my friends here will be wise and discerning and and hear from you, Lord, what it is that you have for them to say. Uh, Help me to be humble in the presentation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're trying. To, we're going to try to get in a new, a new practice here. Just, uh, you know, we, we live in a culture, uh, I think, that, that lacks a reverence, uh, I, I think, in general. And so I think as part of our kingdom culture that we're pressing into, we want to buck that trend a little bit. So, so we, love the, we love the fact that we can gather together as family and the simplicity of that, that we don't have to put on a show for God. But there's also something really special about revering and honoring the fact that God has spoken, and when he speaks, we should pay attention, right? Yeah? Cool. Hey, I want to do one other thing before I get going. Hey, congratulations to the bride and groom. Hi. Hi. Mr. and Mrs. Greg and Denise Lieber. Yeah, woo-woo! So for those of you who don't know, Greg and Denise had a private ceremony with some family and friends uh, just past uh, last weekend. It was awesome. They're going to have a big celebration in the future. If you haven't got to know Greg, he's awesome. Denise is better. Right, Greg? Yes, that's right. So, so we're so thankful to be welcoming them into our family too. So awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right, so tonight we're going to be talking, we're still pressing into this kingdom culture series, and tonight we're going to be talking about a culture of entitlement versus a culture of surrender, a culture of entitlement versus a culture 
of surrender. And remember, we're looking at this idea that the, we, we've got to be aware of how as followers of Jesus, as we're following the king, that he brings the culture of heaven. He brings his kingdom. And where his kingdom comes, it's going to oftentimes clash with the culture around us and more in general, and then oftentimes the culture of our heart, the things that are going on inside of us. And so, so when that happens, it exposes the things that we value, exposes like, here's what's important to me. And then as it exposes those things, it begins to overcome those things, that wants to defeat those things in our life, and that it actually wants to set us free. And so that's why we're pressing in, into the series, and we're going to look at this through the lens of this, this story of, of Mary here today. So <clears throat> uh, we, I touched a little bit on this last week, that we live kind of right now in this, um, this culture where the general kind of belief and thought is, I am owed something. So last week, we talked about this through the lens of consumer, kind of consumer culture versus serving. This week, we're going to look at this through a slightly different angle. Now, this idea of entitlement, that I am owed something, it's really easy to pick on millennials on this because we all know, right? I mean, come on, Daniel, I'm sorry. I'm just, I, what I'm gonna, I don't want us to do that. I actually don't want us just to pick on them, right? Because it's really unfair because the truth of the matter is we all live with some sense of entitlement. It's like, but what has happened for generations seems like it's landed at the feet of a younger generation. Like, and so that's why we have all the, the, the silly jokes about like everyone gets a trophy and, and people expecting to get hired when they have no job skills and people expecting to make as much money as people who have been working in the same field for longer and all this other kind of stuff. It's because the reality is that all of us, I think the more that we have, the more sense that we are, we deserve what we have. Especially here in Western, in the Western culture, I see this so much more than in other parts of the world. There is this sense that I am owed something, that the world owes me something. Uh, but the reality is like, this isn't really a generational thing. This is a human thing. And uh, I mean, think about right now, uh, this, is, this is not an age, an age thing. There are so many people I know in this church who have oversight in different companies and they can't get people to come and work because for some reason they think that they're now above and beyond work. Like they can't, like we can't hire people. Like this is not a political statement. This is a human statement. Like we were made to actually work. God created us. And the very first thing he does is give us this assignment to care for the creation, to, to be gardeners. And actually now like it actually goes and flies against the face of our design and our creator to think that we don't have to do that, that God is just gonna kind of dole out to us or the government, or whoever it would be. It actually flies in the very face of how God has wired us and created us. I'm not saying this about any kind of political party or anything like that. I'm just saying God has designed us to actually be creative people who put our hands to work and to, and to do something. He hasn't made us to be entitled people. So, but the reality is it's, it's in all of us. So, so let, me, let me just give you a couple, couple examples. Have you ever done something for someone and like something nice for someone and found yourself really frustrated that they didn't do the same kind of thing in return. Anyone? Yeah? Like, or that they didn't acknowledge it on the degree that they should have acknowledged it, right? Now, sometimes like we can, we can recognize there's an unhealthy level where, some, where people are always taking up from us when we're all, always giving. But underneath that is this, this belief that I am owed something because of what I have done. I've done something for you, so you should reciprocate, and that kind of belays a sense of entitlement. We find ourselves, and maybe, maybe you don't consciously think that, maybe it's not the kind of thing where you're conscious, but you find yourself putting people more and more at a distance 
Because like, I serve people all the time. I do all the things for all the people. And the reality is subtly in your heart, there was this expectation that it would be returned to me. That is a general sense of entitlement. Have you ever seen people absolutely freak out at a restaurant? Like when their like menu item that they thought that they were gonna get is like not, no longer available? I don't actually freak out on the outside, but on the inside, I am offended. Like if I go and I have my favorite thing that I want at a restaurant and, I'm, and they don't have it, I'm like, you what? Like, you know, like you should have been reading my mind and know that I'm coming here to get this thing that I want. My favorite beer is not on tap. What? This isn't right. You know what I mean? Like there's this part of me that's like this entitled kind of kid. And I can think about myself going all the way back to, to being a kid. I, this has roots in my life. I remember... Um, uh, I, I can't remember if this was like one instance or many, so forgive me for this, but going to the arcade as a kid, and this is before I had any money that I had ever earned. So my parents would like send me to the arcade, and you go to the arcade, and I like to play all the games, but I especially like the ones where you could win tickets, like skee-ball, right? Like you can win the tickets. And, and inevitably, as a kid, you go to the arcade, you win the tickets, and you get tickets, and you're always short a certain amount of tickets for the prize that you want. Anyone else? can identify with this, right? And I remember going to my parents and being like, I like need more money to play more games so that I can win more tickets so that I can win this thing. And my parents being like, I already gave you money to play games and have fun. Be happy with what you have. And me just being indignant, like, how dare you? This is unfair. I deserve to get more tickets to win the prize. And like now looking back on it, I realize like how backwards that was in thinking. Like they gave me money that wasn't mine to begin with to go and have fun to earn something that what didn't, wasn't mine to begin with. And now I'm mad because they won't give me more. Like, and, and you, if you've got kids or you've been around little kids, you see this scenario play out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it happens to me. Uh, still, I'm like, where's my money? Play more games. And this happens in real life stuff too. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've had a conversation with God where you feel like, I deserve better. How, how could this be happening? How could this have happened? I, I deserve better. And maybe we don't say that out loud, that I deserve better. God, how could this be happening to me? How could you have let this happen? But we can find ourselves, just like we do with other relationships, finding ourselves distancing from God a little bit when we find ourselves disappointed with what he's given us, or we find ourselves disappointed in a situation that is happening. So we recognize that, man, I think I did have a certain expectation. Maybe there was something in me, and I was, I was hoping that God would do something or acting, act in a certain way, and he doesn't do that, and so now I'm pushing God away and at a distance. Now, I want to be really, really clear. Like That kind of disappointment around heavy things in life is real, and I don't want to be dismissive of that. Like when we've had really hard things, difficult things, and we find ourselves asking the question like, God, how can, I, how can this happen to me? I don't want you to feel any shame or condemnation around that and feel like oh, I'm a terrible person. When things happen to us and we're disappointed with what we think God could do or should do for us, it's, it's often a painful process. So, so I don't want you to hear me having any shame around that. But I do think it's important for us just to take a step back and just examine the posture of our heart. And see, do I have or do I live with a sense of entitlement? Do I believe that God owes me something? Chances are, if we're living a life where we've kind of pushed God away at certain points because of disappointment, because of our frustrations, chances are we really have a subtle belief that God owes me something. 
And that kind of a posture of entitlement is really, really dangerous to us for a lot of reasons. That kind of posture of God owes me something and, and I deserve something is really, really dangerous. On a practical level, that kind of posture that God owes me something and should make life easy, sometimes it's that. God should be making my life easy. It actually disrupts character formation in us. I don't know any person who has really deep-rooted character who hasn't gone through some really difficult times in their life. And if everything is given to us, just kind of on a silver platter over and over and over again, and there's never any points of time of, of, of having to cultivate something, of having to lean into something, of having to learn from, from mistakes and from failures and disappointments and unanswered prayers and those kinds of things, there, if, 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 that's, if that's our life, we will not have the character of Christ formed in us. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about how he wants to know Christ, and he goes on this long list, I want to know who Jesus is, but he says, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. There's almost something of like, we can't know who Jesus is fully unless we walk a path that he walks. And while we walk a path of victory in the Christian faith, the Christian way is often a road of suffering. Why do you think James says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of all kinds? Because you're gonna encounter trials of all kinds. He's like, I want you to prepare yourself for this. Be ready for this, it's gonna happen. Like, and rather than a woe is me, God, how could you? It's a, oh, I'm following in the way of, of Jesus. Of course this is. And so, so it really disrupts our character formation. It sets us up to not be able to cope when things are difficult or when things are hard, if things are always easy. I mean, you can, you can see this play out and over and over again, especially with kids, kids who do, whose parents do things for them all the time and they never have to learn any responsibility for themselves. Don't, like, they really, really struggle in life. Because it's always just been easy. Like, I can even remember subtle things that my parents, hi kiddos, welcome back, it's okay. We're just gonna pause and let them come in so nobody feels distracted. Hi guys, how'd it go? How'd it go? Can you sing for us right now what you learned? No, that's okay, we won't make you do that. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, I can, I can remember like being in college and realizing like, oh my gosh, I've never washed my own clothes. How do I do this, right? I mean, and like, so... So there are conversations happening right now among husbands and wives. I could feel it in the room, like, you know. I can remember not knowing how to cook certain things. Like, and this is no slight on my parents. It's like, my mom was a good mom. I love you, mom, if you're watching. Hi. But there are just certain things that we have to learn how to do ourselves. And when it's just given to us over and over again, it's not helpful for us. And then when it's given to us over and over again, and that grows into a sense of entitlement of that it will be given to us over and over again, it sets us up for a lot of disappointment in life. And so it's not good for our character formation. We don't, we don't know how to persevere or how to endure through difficult things if everything that we want is given to us exactly how we want all, all of the time. But on a bigger level, that kind of entitlement mentality forgets this very important thing, that life like literally every aspect of life, every part of life is a gift from a really good giver. Every aspect of it, every day. Everything that happens every single day is a gift from a really good giver. And if we don't have that mentality, we don't believe that that's true about our lives, and we instead believe that we're entitled to certain things in life, it really causes our worldview to go sideways. 
We're, we're going to walk through life really confused and difficult because what we will assume is that when things are hard, that the gift giver is no longer a gift giver and he's no longer good. You see what I mean? When we live with that kind of entitled mentality. See, subtly it happens that we slowly but surely believe that God exists for our benefit. As though we created him to make our lives better. None of us, like, want to say that that's what we believe. But if we paid attention to our prayer life and we paid attention to our thought life, the truth of the matter is that we, I think, subtly believe this. God is there to make my life easy. If you struggle with that at some point in your life, go ahead and raise your hand, because I think it's probably many more of us. God is here to make my life easy. It's just so easy to fall into that trap. And, so, and, and, and when we fall into that trap, we're betraying this, kind of, this idea that we are entitled to something. And when that's the case, man, we'll live in a crazy level of disappointment when life doesn't go the way that we, that we think it should, when our prayers aren't answered, when we go through difficulties and hardships. Because God, you exist here to, to make my life easy. My life isn't easy. So either you don't exist or you're not good. The truth of the matter is that God is really good and he created us for him. That's the truth that we have to anchor ourselves in. He is really good and he has created us for him. That might sound a little selfish, like to say that God has created us for him. Like we're like objects of God's like entertainment. Like, let me just make these things and let me be entertained. Are you not entertained? You know, like I feel like it would be easy to think that that is about God, but, but actually it's, it's not like that. It's the natural impulse behind why people desire to have children. There's something inside of us that says, I have something to give to someone else. Not every person walks into parenthood that, like, consciously and willingly. Like, some people forget how that happens, you know? Uh, but the, but the, the basic human impulse to create another human being is a really good impulse, right? It doesn't come, sometimes it could come from a selfish place, but, but when we're at our best, we're creating other human beings as objects of our love and our affection, not as objects of our entertainment. Now, kids are really entertaining, they, 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 and they do bring us joy, but it's actually about giving something away rather than getting something out of it. And, and guys, God is a better father than any of us could ever imagine. He is love himself. So what God has done is say, I've got so much love inside of me, I want to share this with someone else. And so God says, I want to create a person like you and a person like you and a person like you not just to make me happy, but I want to shower my love and my affection on this person. Now, the cool thing is, if you know, if you've seen parents with kids, even if you're not a parent yourself, you can see the delight that a parent has in their child. You don't have to be a parent to see that. Every one of you, hopefully at some point, you've experienced the delight of your parents over you. If you're not, God has good things in store for you because he's a better father than your father and your mother ever will be, all right? So don't, don't tune me out here. Because God is really, really good. And he can fill those gaps and heal those wounds. I, I feel like we're going to press into this. Our view of who God is is awfully, often grossly distorted because of who our parents were. And, and, and I'm not saying that about my life. My parents were amazing parents. They loved God and they did so much. But, but they weren't perfect and I'm not perfect. 
and I'm going to do things that are imperfect. And the reality is that your view of God is mostly shaped by who your parents are, right? And so what that means is we're going to often be confused about who God is if we're confused about what, why our parents created us and all that kind of stuff, right? The reality is God is really good, and he is perfect love. He is love himself. And so he created you not for his own entertainment, but because he wanted to pour his love out on you. And the truth of the matter is, as a parent, as a really good dad, it brings delight to his heart to see you grow and become more and more like him. The thing to remember, though, is that just like kids don't exist without the parent deciding, I want the kid to exist, we don't exist without our, our Heavenly Father deciding, I want them to exist. It's we exist for him, not the other way around. It's just so easy to forget that. It's a subtle thing, but it's a really big thing. How much more is God who is perfect love, who decided in eternity past he wanted to pour out his love on you and I? How much better is he? And how much more would it matter to us if we really believe that we exist because the God in heaven desires to pour his love out on us? Everything in this life, guys, everything. We're not owed any of it. None of it. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. And the giver is good. Now, if all of that is true, if God, if every aspect of life, everything that we live, everything that we experience is actually a gift and the giver is good, what that should mean is that our, marked, our lives should be marked with, instead of entitlement, they should be marked with surrender. The culture of the kingdom of God is one in which we acknowledge that life is a gift and the giver is good and that because of that, we can surrender and trust, we can trust him with ourselves. So that means we get to surrender who we are to him at all times. In the text that we read, Mary hears this news from the angel. A young girl who I'm sure had hopes and dreams about a lot of different things that did not include being an unwed mother. Her hopes and dreams did not include the possibility of being chastised and shamed in her culture because she was starting to show that she was pregnant even though she wasn't married. Her hopes and dreams for her life did not, I'm gonna guess, did not include giving birth in like less than desirable settings, animals surrounding and all of that kind of stuff who I'm going to guess her hopes and her dreams for her life did not include watching her son grow up and be hated and loved as much by different people. Did not include watching him be betrayed by his friends. Did not include watching him hang on a cross. I'm going to guess that Mary had different hopes and dreams as a young girl for what, what life was going to look like. She entered into this and she had a sense of expectation of maybe what God was going to do. And so she had every reason. Mary had every reason in the story to say, uh, hold up, Gabriel. This was not my life plan. This is not what I thought we were doing. I have lived very faithfully. I have like, I've, I've done the best I possibly could and this was not on the agenda. This is not what I signed up for. Have you ever had that kind of moment in life where you find yourself saying, God, this is not what I signed up for. I had a plan. I thought it was gonna look like this. It did not look like this. <laughs> Where life comes to a screeching halt like a record, 
You know, that's a good record sound. Or is that Donald Duck? I don't know what that was. Where everything just seems to stop. Where everything gets disrupted. You guys have heard my story. I, I, I actually started going back and I was like, oh man, I've had too many of these stories in my life. Where I, felt, I thought life was going one way and just kidding, it's caught in a completely different direction. I mean, the thing that led me to moving here was my friends who were my closest friends kicking me out of the band that I loved and I thought my life was gonna look like being on the road and playing music and them coming over one day to say they were watching football and just kidding, they were there to kick me out of the band. I thought my life was going one way and all of a sudden everything I thought like was gone. My friends were gone, like in a night. My, what I thought my future was gonna hold for me was gone in a night. And I had this conversation, uh, hold up, God. This is not what I signed up for. But Mary's heart is very different than what our heart and what my heart might be. Rather than telling the angel all the reasons why this didn't fit her life plan, she asks just a simple question to start out with. How can this be? Um, hold the phone. How is this going to happen? I just want to just say this, that asking a question in the middle of really hard things is not a bad thing. I want you to hear this. Asking a question of God in the middle of a really hard thing is not a bad thing to do. It's actually the most normal thing you can do. Say, God, um, what's the deal? doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't need to send you into a spiral of losing your faith. It's actually filled the, the whole Psalms and so many of the prophets are filled with people going, why God? What is going on? When will you finally rescue your people? So those moments are important. So, so she asks, okay, God, how? How will this happen? I don't, I don't get it. And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and with power from the Most High, he will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he goes on to talk about Elizabeth is going to be pregnant, and now no word from God will ever fail. We read this, and we're so familiar with it, and it's moving, and it's awesome. But if I'm Mary, I'm still like, um, also, but how? <laughs> like, like, that doesn't really explain some things. Like, I, I, I get that God's in the process, but how am I going to have a baby? Like, and what I've found is that over times when these, I have these moments where life is disrupted, where my sense of entitlement kind of gets thrown off, and I ask God these kinds of questions, I rarely get the answer that I want. <laughs> Anyone else? But I usually get the answer that I need. And in this instance, this is all she needs to know. God's got this. He's big enough. You're not the first person to have to take God at his word. Let's go all the way back to Abraham who was promised a child when he had no business having a child. Let's go, let's go forward a little bit in the story and think about the promises of God to this generation, the promises of God to this generation. What he's doing is hearkening Mary back to the ways that God has been faithful throughout history and circumstances where it didn't make any sense. So he doesn't give her all the explanation about how it's all going to work, about here's how it's all going to work, because that's what we want, right? We want the detailed list instructions. I'm going to turn left here. I'm going to turn right here. I'm going to get there. That's not what he does. He's like, no, nah, like he did to Abraham, you're just going to go to the land I'm going to show you. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, you're not going to know all the details. But, but look at Mary's posture. 
All right then, I'm the Lord's servant. Let your words be to be fulfilled to me, just like you said. That is the posture of kingdom people. In every circumstance and everything, say, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you've said. Let it be done to me just like you said. Whatever it is that you said, let that be true of me. I am the Lord's servant. This is the culture of the kingdom of God and the culture of kingdom people. The culture that we need to have collectively as a church. Lord, we're your servants and we're here for whatever it is. And, the, and then the, the posture of, of us individually. It might seem like a small thing, but, but, and the reality is we can easily go through life just kind of subtly expecting God to be our servant. And God, would you do for me everything I have spoken to you? But this is totally flip-flop. I'm your servant. Do to me as you have said. Even in my own prayer life, some of you, you know, um, have been praying alongside us this week as Jen's dad has been really fighting a, a battle for his life uh, this week. Uh, and uh, you pray all kinds of desperate prayers uh, when, when you find yourself in these, in these kind of circumstances where you are just crying out to God. Uh, God, would you heal? Would you do this? And I find myself doing this thing where I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with God and I'm reasoning with God, right? You, like the theology goes out the window, when you're desperate. But I find myself in these moments and these prayers just being reminded like, I don't have to convince God to do anything here. I don't have to convince him about this. I know what his heart is. I know what he, I know what he wants to do. So what it means is I get to pray from a posture of surrender rather than a posture of having to convince God to do things. In reality, I, I'm like, hey, this week, all right, God, his life is yours. It's been yours since the very beginning. That's not changed. Nothing has changed about that. Whether he's healthy or whether he's sick, like nothing has changed. His life is still yours. And every breath he breathes is a gift. And so I entrust his life to you. So help me, God, get on the same page with what you're doing here. And so that's my prayer now. And that's the prayer I feel like God is like teaching me in all these difficult circumstances and all these hardships is, God, I want to pray what you're doing. So Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. That is the way I want to posture my life, Lord. Let me be your servant and let it be unto me as you have said. That's a very different kind of posture. It's the posture that Jesus lives in. It's what he tells his disciples at every turn. Don't worry about tomorrow. Your father knows what you need before you ever even ask, he tells them over and over again. Again, life is a gift and the giver is good. Jesus doesn't live with that sense of entitlement. He lives with that posture of surrender. Life is a gift and the giver is good so I can surrender to him. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells a really frustrating parable. It's one of, the, one of those ones that Jesus is like, I would put in a category of things I wish Jesus hadn't said. Anyone have those? I have certain things. I'm like, I put a little star by it in my Bible. Like, Jesus, uh, are you sure about that one? He tells this parable of a landowner who goes out and hires some people to work in his fields. And the story basically goes that there are people who work in the fields all day long for agreed upon price. And then there are people who come along at the end of the day who haven't had any work. And at the end of the day, the landowner decides to pay everybody the same wages to which the people who have been working at the beginning of their day like, um, 
Hello? We worked harder than everybody. See, that sense of entitlement existed for a couple thousand years. Um, sorry, I got a beard situation going. Like th this, this idea that like I am owed something to where Jesus in this parable is basically saying like, you aren't owed anything. It is all mine to be generous with how I please. That's the point of the parable. Jesus is saying of the father, it was all his. Who are you to tell him how to be generous with what he has? That's really messes with me because I want to live in a life where everything is fair. One word we hate in our house is fair, right, Chloe? We hate the word fair. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because the reality is like we could be playing the fair game all day and it doesn't really matter. Because life is a gift, every aspect, that, every ounce of it, and it's all his to begin with. And whatever I have, it's all a gift from him in the beginning. See, Jesus looks at the world and he sees the generosity of his father everywhere. And that leads him to a life of trust and surrender. Because everywhere he looks, he sees, yeah, there's enough. God, yeah, my, my dad's got enough here. My dad has enough to heal this person. My dad has enough to care for this person. My dad has enough to feed these people. It's enough. And he lives with that mentality, so he lives with this incredible kind of trust that my, by the way, we are meant to live that way, guys. You are meant to live with that level of trust. You are meant to live and be the kind of person who can sleep on a boat that's like in the middle of a storm. Like, yeah, that doesn't happen in a reality for so many of us, but if Jesus did it, we can do it. Like, that is, that is his heart for us. He wants us to be able to live in that kind of way. Not as like a, man, this is so far from religion, guys, about following the rules and do all the right things, and more about, man, I want your heart to soar. I want you to make music in your heart. I want you to live with passion and desire and love. I want you to be free from the entanglements of trying to please a God who is already pleased with you. This is a different thing, guys. So even in his darkest moments, when Jesus' friends and family reject him, when he's about to go to the cross, he's in the garden, he can pray. It's different words, but the same prayer of his mother before he was ever born. Not my will, but your will, Father. Do you see that? How beautiful this bookend of this person's life. This amazing thing where his mother says, "Not okay, I'm, I'm your servant, Lord. Whatever it is that you want to do, let it happen unto me. And then we have Jesus praying in the garden, praying that same exact kind of prayer. Whatever it is, Father, I want this cup to pass from me, but whatever it is, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That is the posture and the heart of surrender. It's a very different kind of thing than holding on to getting our own, holding on to what we think is owed to us. See, that's God's heart for us. He wants us to live in that kind of freedom. See, but when we believe that God or the world owes us something, we'll live in disappointment, we'll live in frustration, we'll live confused when things don't work out. And that's not his heart for us. His heart is as we walk in his kingdom, we'll see a blessing in every moment and in everything we do. That we walk with that sense of, I see God's blessing. I can see how God is taking care of this. I can see what it is that he's doing and live with a heart of gratitude and with a posture of gratitude. In Mary's story, right after she has this encounter and then she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, then we have this, this, this incredible song that she, that she sings before the Lord. It's a song of gratitude. It's also a song of triumph. She's like, 
Bring like down the down pressers. I love this aspect. Like she is worshipful, but she also has a heart. I know God's gonna come through. This is the sign that he's gonna fulfill his promises. And so now I can kind of erupt with joy and be grateful and celebrate and sing. That's that song. I encourage you to go and read Mary's song later, right there at the end of chapter one, beginning of chapter two, and see this heart of gratitude in a person who's been asked this incredibly hard and difficult thing. You see, when we don't live with a heart of gratitude, with a heart of seeing all things as a gift and as the giver is good, the hardships and the things that don't go our way will seem louder and bigger than all the blessings that God has in our life. This is a posture that we have to walk with, a posture that we have to live with, a heart of gratitude that sees the blessings and everything. Because if we don't have that posture and we don't have that heart, then the things that happen that are difficult and they will come, Jesus promises they will. They'll throw us off, and those things will seem louder, and they will seem bigger than all of the blessings. So today, I was just like, I'm going to do a little math about some blessings. And based on my age, I'll be 43 in January. I have had 15,000 meals in my life. 15,000 meals. I was never guaranteed one. Not one. 15,000, I probably, you're like, Jill, you've had more than 15,000, buddy. I probably have. You're right. I had like five on Thanksgiving. Those who didn't hear, uh, my, I didn't have as much turkey. Uh, my sister-in-law's dog ate half of the turkey after we had had our first helping, so I didn't get my second and third and fourth helping. So, you know, it's pretty sad. 15,000 meals in my life. Think about that. How many breaths have I taken in my life? 313,900,000. That's how many times my lungs have taken in the breath that God breathed in and I breathed out the breath that he gave me. Over 300 million breaths, every single one, a gift. Every single one, a gift. Not one was I guaranteed, not one my heart started beating in my mother's womb. And by this point in time, has beat 1.5 billion times. 1.5 billion beats in my heart. I was never guaranteed one. I have a few billion more than what I was offered, than what I was ever guaranteed, and so do you. And so do all the people that you know. How many more breasts have they been given than what they deserve? Not because we're measly, terrible sinners and we don't deserve. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about life is a gift and the giver is good. And every meal that we eat, every breath that we breathe, every beat of our heart, it is all a gift. Every single one is a gift. God never asks us to ignore hardships and difficulties. He never asks us to bury our head and act like the world isn't hard and things aren't difficult. But what he does ask us is for those things not to define us. For those things not to dictate how we see him as the gift giver. To actually let the 1.5 times my heart has beat actually be louder than the few times I've been disappointed as painful as they are. Because the only reason why I've ever experienced any pain in my life anyway is because God is a gift giver and he's given me the gift of life to experience it. Every single one. 
So what he asks of me and he asks of, I think, of us is to live with a sense of gratitude and inst- instead of entitlement. To not think of ourselves as being owed something, but instead think of ourselves as, God, you have really blessed us. So gratitude is actually the heart and the posture that we're meant to have. That's the posture of surrender. Gratitude is the posture of surrender. If you're like, I don't know what, I, I've heard my whole life, I've, I've heard people say this, like, um, I don't know what it means to surrender to God. Like, I, I don't understand what that means. Like, he's not here. Like, I don't know what it means. Well, I'm gonna tell you a starting place is to have a posture of gratitude in your life. To begin to see everything in your life, every day, every blessing, from a perspective of this is a gift from the Lord. When I wake up tomorrow morning, it will be a gift. The bed that I sleep in is a gift. The roof over my head is a gift. The fact that I'll get to greet my children in the morning is a gift. The fact that I get to talk to, to, to my wife on this space-age device and see her face tonight, even though she's not home, is a gift. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and see every single moment of every single day. That's his heart, and that's, his, that's the posture, and that's the way we step into surrender because once you realize that that's who God is and once you realize that that's who you are, it changes your sense of, po- of posture. It changes your sense of, God, do I really trust you? I sure, I sure do. Because even though it was hard, I saw how you showed up then. Even though it was difficult, I saw how you walked me through that. And even though that was hard, look at all these other incredible blessings and incredible things you've done in my life. And so you are worthy of praise. You are worthy for me to trust myself with you. Rob, you can come, back, come on up. So gratitude is the posture. Obedience is the practice. Gratitude is the posture, but obedience is the practice. How do you know you're living a life of surrender versus a life of entitlement? When God asks you to do something, you say yes. When God asks you to put something before you to do, you say yes. You say, like Mary, let it be to me as you said. I'm your servant. That we're ready when God says, I want you to go and ask that person for forgiveness. The answer is yes. When he says, I want you to go and I want you to offer that person forgiveness, the answer is yes. When he says, I want you to give a little extra in the offering, the answer is yes. When he says, I want you to go and pray for that person, the answer is yes. See what I'm saying? And our yeses come easier than our noes when it comes to him. Our yeses should come easier. To, that it should be on the tip of our mouth to say yes. I love to say yes to my kids. I love it. It's awesome. It's some, it's, it stinks to have to say no. Sometimes we have to. But it's such, a, it's, such a, it's such a delight to be able to offer that and to say yes. And, and I feel like that's what God wants from us is not a sense out of a sense of obligation, like we have to, but out of a sense of gratitude, we get to. It seems like, to me, when we talk about obedience, it seems like that's the opposite of freedom, doesn't it? Obedience and freedom feel like they don't go hand in hand, but the reality is we are set free to give him back everything. The reality is when God asks us to do something, it's for our good as much as it is for his good. And so when he asks us to step into something that's hard, man, 
God has something in store for you if you'll lean in and just see it. If you'll lean in with a posture of gratitude. Again, I'm not saying we don't contend when things are hard. We balance this with what Jesus has to say about prayer, which is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Like, don't give up. Keep on pressing into prayer. But it's much easier to do that when we know the one that we're praying to is really good. That he is a gift giver and that he is really, really good. We have to balance those things together. See, obedience is not the opposite of freedom. It's actually the thing that postures our heart to experience true freedom. So I think what God wants for our church family, and I think what he wants for you as individuals is to be people who are walking a surrendered kind of lifestyle, to live in the culture of a kingdom that says, it's all yours, God. It was all yours to begin with, so whatever I have, it belongs to you. And so it's my job to figure out how to just keep saying yes to what it is that you're inviting me into. When I think about this, it's funny, you know, on on one level, this is such a, a personal thing, living a life of surrender. But for me, when I think about the application of this message and what this, what this means for us is, what if a people, what if the 40 or 50 or so of you that are in this room all together said, yes, the answer is going to be yes, always. The answer is going to be, let it be to me as you have said, I am your servant. What if, what if collectively that was the case? And what about the people who aren't in this room who might be watching online or who might come around later who just weren't here this week? What if we all collectively gave God our yes and said, we all, God, we're here. Imagine the change that could happen in your families and in our neighborhoods or in our school because it's more than just about you. It's also about all the people that God has placed you right in the middle of. And your yes Yes, it's important for you, but it's also important for all the people around you and around your life. It's also important for us as a church. It's our collective yes. And I have a suspicion, just a suspicion. This isn't a thus saith the Lord thing. That God is cultivating something in us. He's cultivating a heart of yes. He's cultivating a heart of a people surrendered. And so I want to give you just a minute to reflect. These guys are going to sing for just a second. And I'll come back up and I'll pray and close this. But I want, you to, I want you to discern on the back of the card that you got when you came in, it asks you kind of what's the thing that's your takeaway from today? What's the thing that stood out to you? What's the thing that's getting your attention? And the second question is, what are you going to do about it? Is there something that you can do? Do you need prayer? Do you need have someone pray for you? Do you need to share that with someone else? What is it that you need to do to respond to today's message? And we want to give you a little bit of space right now to reflect and think about that. So why don't you stand if you're able and and let these guys just lead us in a little bit and then I'll come back up in just a second and close us.